What is going on, Summit Chaser? Sorry that I'm squinting. It's really, really bright here. We are in Las Vegas, but we're not here to talk about that. We are here to introduce you to another episode of the Summit Chasers podcast. Very excited for this guest today, Mr. Dan Sanchez, or as his friends like to call him, not going to lie, he told me that I could call him Dan Chez. Very, very smart individual. He introduced me to, he's actually the one that introduced me to the concept of ultra learning. I've heard of it before, but I never really went in depth with it. I never really understood exactly what it was, but we, we talk about how to become a master at something in a very short period of time, how to create a strong brand where you should start when you're trying to create a strong brand, especially if you're a business who's maybe a little bit further along and you feel that's too late to really focus on our brand. We break down how you can do that. But my favorite part of this is just his his obsession with trying to learn, his obsession with trying to be better, his obsession with being a master at something. We talk a lot about AI and how you can become a master of AI and the steps that you should take in order to get the most out of AI and really what it's, what it's supposed to be used for. So sit back, get your notebooks out. For this one, since we're in Vegas, grab maybe a mojito, maybe a margarita pizza, and enjoy the show. Dan, thank you so much for being on, my friend. We've been, I've been looking forward to this one. We talked, like we were just saying, about a month ago. I'm a big fan of yours, a lot of your work, um, and then a fan of some of the things that you're a fan of as well that I hope that we get a chance to talk about. Dive into it, man. I'm ready. Beautiful. Well, before we get into the, the meat and potatoes, so to speak, um, fill everybody in, let everybody know a little bit about you, who you are, and um, yeah, what you do. Dan Sanchez, my friends call me Dan Chez, and I'm a marketer. I've been a marketer, and I've been in love with this this job. It's it's even my hobby. It's my passion. <laughs> I read about it all the time, and lately, dang man, I've I've fallen head over heels in love with what AI can do in marketing. <laughs> so I've been covering that extensively, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about it in the the show. Um, but I'm also a a podcaster, a children's book author. And, and of course I'm talking about marketing and all those things, even my children's books, it's like marketing for children or audience growth for children. <laughs> so I produce a lot of content about marketing. I'm very active on LinkedIn and have a, a small audience, uh, of marketers, especially in the B2B space. And that tends to be what I do, what I talk shop about and what I'm always even more curious about learning, because if you can solve marketing, you can solve a lot of problems. Uh, economic problems, uh, policy problems. Off, I, I even come from the nonprofit space, so like world change problems. It's a marketing problem often. So I'm so passionate about it because it's such an effective and never changing sphere in life <laughs> that if you can learn how to uh, leverage marketing well and learn how to use marketing well, you can accomplish a lot in life. You can accomplish a lot for a business. And it's also just highly employable and valuable as a skill set. So it's lucrative. It's incredibly uh, so valuable. How about that? That's amazing. Well, so there's something you brought up. What's the difference between, I don't think a lot of people know this. That's why I'm asking. What's the difference between using it, marketing, like good marketing, utilizing marketing well and not util utilizing not well? Uh, the difference between well and not well is the results that it achieves, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's and that's pretty much it. Like, is it is it accomplishing what you meant for it to do? A lot of people do marketing and don't. And the biggest problem is they don't even know if it's working, right? Mm -hmm. So 
that would be a problem. But if you're doing good marketing, you know it's working because people are telling you about it as they're coming in and either paying you money or if you're trying to raise awareness about a cause or something like that, they're telling you they found out about it through their marketing, then then it's working. Mm-hmm. So how, but how would you measure that? Because some people, like, like with, um, they're putting out ads, right? There's, there's lots yeah. of metrics that they can use to gauge the success of that yeah. type of marketing. But if you want to get into specifically brand marketing or you're, you know, you have a consulting business or whatever, and you want a YouTube channel. How do you, how do you do that right? Like, how do you start out right? Like, where do you even start? I guess is probably the question. Man, this is a huge debate in the marketing world, and people argue about it all the time. I have my own philosophy on it, but usually you're doing a combination of all kinds of different marketing. It's not just one. You're not just posting to Facebook and calling it good. Usually, you got you know your social media going on. You got an email list. You're building. You're running paid media. Um, maybe you're building relationships with some influencers. Maybe your, your CEO is going out and talking and giving speeches at different conferences and stuff. So how do you measure the effects of all this stuff? Um, there are of course a thousand and one like tech vendors that will sell you some kind of what they call attribution models where they can measure it and empirically prove that things work. But I find those to be somewhat limited. Um, so as a marketer, what I try to do is I try to try what triangulate between like three different sources of truth. And then all of it is imperfect as far as measuring how well it's working. And all of it is just there to give you more data to work with, to inform your gut choice. Because at the end of the day, a good marketer and a good entrepreneur even has to be able to discern where, how to move forward. And it's best if you use data. Um, in order to, I don't know, feed your gut so that you can actually discern correctly on where to go. Those three pieces, those three data points that I like to pull from are one, sure, the tech software, you know, HubSpot, uh, Salesforce, wherever you have data, it's good to pull that and pull what you have. Unfortunately, like social media marketing, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, they're not going to tell you who's interacting with the content, not in a way that you can feed it back into your CRM and know who's actually buying stuff. There's, it's, it's, it's a black, black veil of information. So you have to learn a little bit there. Um, and therefore add in some more information. Like honestly, the most, the, the most fundamental place to learn if your marketing's working is actually just talking to your customers, <laughs> especially new customers that have come in recently. How did you find out about us? What were, what was life like when you found out about us? Asking them questions like that and then be like, what, we, what was your first opinion when you first noticed this? Where did you notice us? What caused you to finally take a first step towards us? When you, can, can, when you looked at us compared to everybody else you could have bought from, why did you choose us? Asking them these questions, then digging in and then doing that, not just with one person, but three, four, 10, 20 times, you'll start to see trends in their answers. Those trends are the most valuable assets marketers could ever get. It's way better than anything you get from tech companies. And then you Mm -hmm. can take what's called qualitative information and map it out to turn it into quantitative information. Because again, you can take all their answers and start putting an Excel sheet, start organizing the information, then use that to build surveys to then send to more people to get more even quantitative information, validating empirically that it's true, that this is why people choose you. This is where they find out about you. This is why they, this is the, how your brand is building affinity with them. So they have an irrational bias to go with you rather than your competitor. So those three pieces of information, it's like uh, quantitative from like things like surveys, 
And there's other ways to do it too, like uh, A-B split testing landing pages and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there is just talking to your customers. Again, the best place. If I only had one of the three, that's it. And then thirdly, the tech companies. And like, of course, there's all kinds of little other measurements too. Like if you're optimizing a Google AdWords campaign, you're going to be want to be in the Google Ads tool looking at all the little metrics they give you and there's thousands of them in there it's like yeah. of impressions to clicks and click through rate to uh, add impression share of everybody else's ads and all that kind of stuff that you're evaluating to improve just that one little area of your marketing but then you have to look at it holistically with everything else with the three other places i just mentioned mm -hmm. No, that's great advice. <laughs> so long answer. <laughs> no, that's that's great advice because I think a lot of I mean and I know that for a fact. I've been there before. We're scared to ask for feedback because what if we don't yeah. like the feedback we're getting? What if it's negative? But then a b what if it's feedback that we maybe it's like we need to do this. We need to make this change, and we're just not ready to make that change. Or we don't want to make that change, right? So it's it's sometimes it's scary yeah. to get that feedback. But if you're a let's say you're a ten to ten to fifty million dollar company and you haven't focused on like maybe you've focus too much on aggregators like you're just buying leads you haven't necessarily been building your own marketing your own brand you have like the funnel that you use is very limited where would you start if you're just trying to get into okay we have this business we've been doing pretty good now we need to kind of take control of our own destiny where do i start for, for a 10 to 50 million dollar company it's a huge range uh, there's a few I, of them out i have there, but yeah. i've yeah i've heard about massive companies i heard recently like a few years ago i found out my buddy was starting a job working for this 34 million dollar roofing company it's like a regional roofing company i'm like 34 million dollars and they don't do any marketing i'm like he's like yep dude they just i don't know what they're doing but whatever they're doing they get they got one thing that's working for them and the 34 million dollar company I'm like geez um where do you start honestly you try to figure out like with every single company you have to try to figure out like where where can i find the attention of the audience with a roofing company, it's probably going to be like Google ads and SEO because people are searching roofing. Like they need it now, like something just happened and now they need a roofing company, right? Mm -hmm. So those types of businesses tend to be very search oriented. Um, and every, but different companies are different. Um, like real estate agents, like they have to go hunt in a different place because they need to build affinity before they start searching because all real estate agents like kind of do the same thing, you know, mm -hmm. and how do you prove you're a better real estate agent than the other? That's kind of hard. So like if I were a real estate agent, I'd be trying to build affinity on YouTube right now. Um, very few do this, but the very, <laughs> the ones that are doing it are freaking crushing it. Like becoming the, uh, what they call digital mayor of like your town but on YouTube. So you're going to all the places, you're making content about all the things, all the neighborhoods in a city. Like I, I just recently, we were just talking about, um, like you used to live in Las Vegas, right? Before we pushed record here. I have a friend who's a real estate agent, uh, a big real estate agent for Las Vegas. And I was just pitching him. I'm like, dude, you need to start making content about all the best neighborhoods in Las Vegas. All the things to do once you move here, things to consider if you're moving here from out of, out of state right or out of out of las vegas there's a lot of things that are special about las vegas that you you probably should be aware of <laughs> you know like what are all the questions people ask when they're starting to think about moving to las vegas make videos about all of that stuff right so you can get them before they're actually like even making commitments on houses because you're going to be the one educating them and helping them figure it out not all the tourist stuff but for the people that are considering living there all that stuff uh things to go places schools for your kids make make videos about all that stuff 
Mm-hmm. Well, that, to answer kind of your question, like that is a big, big range. And like, how do they get that big? Like I, and I've asked that, I've made that range because there's companies that I've worked with. And one of them, I think is just a little over 10 million now. And one just hit 50 million this year. They have done none of their own marketing, none. Like other than buying leads from aggregators, right? Yep. Supplied, they're, they're non-branded leads, right? They're just, a, they're, they buy the lead. There's five other companies calling that person as well, right? And they got there. And then they, they kind of see, you know, whether a new policy comes out, all of a sudden, again, they realize that we don't have control of our own destiny. One policy can drastically decrease our, our lead count. Now I have to play catch up. So you're saying start with where the customer's at. So SEO, yep. right? Ads, Facebook ads, whatever it is, because it is it's very search. It's almost a commodity like, hey, my window broke. I need, how do I find, where's the nearest window manufacturing, window installation? Yep, yep. How do you, when, when do you start to prioritize building your brand? Like, obviously it's right away, but let's say you're a little bit further down the road and you haven't, you've been relying on aggregators. When do you start prioritizing, like building that brand? Cause obviously you have like the need to have, which is leads coming in. When do you start building the brand? There's generally three seasons that you go through with marketing. One is the, I'm just starting out and I need money now. So I'm going to go after friends and family. <laughs> literally people that you have contact information to and that you've probably sent a text message to sometime within the last year. Those are the first people that are always your first sales. Uh, Generally, unless you're like starting some highly specialized B2B software thing and now you have to go somewhere else, right? But generally you're going to start with friends and family and those that's your first marketing list of being like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Uh, Would love to help. I'm going to give discount. Like, can we give a shot? And then that's, those are your first couple of clients. I know even starting for myself, I'm doing like, services podcasting services for some friends companies right now but i got in doing it because i one of my best friends works there and he trusts me you know it's Mm -hmm. all a trust game at the very beginning now when you start Mm -hmm. to scale uh you start to get into a type of marketing called direct response where your marketing is more is less brandy and more of like a little salesman in print uh, or digital print, right? <laughs> uh, and, and a little ad. You're trying to essentially scale the same value proposition, the reason why somebody should work with you, but you're putting it into a Facebook ad or a Google ad or maybe a YouTube ad or something where you're you're paying for it or posting about it every once in a while to something like LinkedIn. Like, hey, I just did some fantastic work for so-and-so. This is what I have. I have some space opening up. This is what it would look like to work with me. Um let me know if you're interested or drop a comment if you're interested in what uh, a free consultation would look like, right? So you're starting to go more direct response. Now, eventually you start to grow as a business where you have enough clients coming in and you'll plateau. Um, And that's where you're going to start wanting to actually build a brand. You could be building a brand from the beginning, but branding eventually becomes the thing that grows you from, I don't know, like a million or $2 million in revenue to being able to grow even farther. Um, and brand building is, is hard because it's not as, it's, it's harder to attribute it. It's hard, like we were talking about in the very beginning, it's harder to know how it's working or why it's working, but we all know that it works because we all have, uh, irrational biases for specific brands in our lives. Why is that? Um, the best book I've ever read on branding was this book called, oh gosh, I'm like, it's like the best book, right? Called Primal Branding. Uh, by Patrick Hanlon. And the reason why it's the best book on branding, because he goes into actually what is like, 
beyond the logo. Like throw the logo out the window. That's not a brand. You can change a logo, but the brand can stay the same. Coca-Cola could literally go with a whole new logo and probably have a very similar brand. Um, because it's not about the logo. The logo is just the visual expression of what's underneath. So what's underneath a brand that makes a brand good? It's beliefs. It's beliefs. What are the things what are the things that the company believes as a whole that makes them weird? And if they only have generic beliefs, then it's going to be a generic brand, right? Marriott. Nice brand. Hilton. There's some differences in what those two things, those two companies believe. Um, I'm sure I'm starting to think of like Hyatt hotels. You're like, eh. like there, there are not a lot of differences between them enough that there's definitely a little bit of a brand there, but then you both Nike, you're like, Oh, very different. If Nike made a hotel, you know what that would look like. But if Hyatt made a hotel, what is that? Sh- or if Hyatt made a shoe, what does that look like? I don't know. Um, some brands have stronger beliefs. Um, and the, the stronger and the weirder your beliefs are, the stronger the brand's going to be. Um, those beliefs then inform the language, the words that you use. Um, the language and the beliefs then inform the visuals. The visuals just become shortcuts for the beliefs, right? That's why you can have Nike little swoosh. And what, what does that mean? Just do it. What does just do it mean? Oh, there's a whole lot of emotion and brand because they've been investing in what that means emotionally for decades now, you know? Um, and then after that, you can invest in rituals. Like what are things that everybody who's into this brand does? Every time this happens, they do X, right? Who are the villains of the brand? Who are we against? Coca-Cola has Pepsi. Who's the villain? Who do you stand against? Um, and then who's the leader of the brand? That's what Patrick Hanlon outlines in the Primal Branding. It's the best book I've ever read on branding. Uh, it's not the most well-written book I've ever read. But if you can get through it, it's full of gold. It's just, you'll, you'll find it. If you read it, you'll understand what I'm saying. But like what, what's in there is so good that I recommend it. Anybody who wants to go into branding has to read this book because mm-hmm. ever, all, the, all the other books are, at least most other branding books are just garbage. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's such good advice on branding. Like, and I love the, 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 even the name of that was tribal branding. Like we, we forget. Primal branding. Primal branding. Sorry. Primal branding. Cause we were, we were primal. Like we were monkeys not that in the grand scheme of things we were monkeys not that long ago like we're very primal tribal beings still so we like to be we like to feel like we're a part of something we're a part of a group and then if you can like you said if you can add an enemy to that then it's like us versus them and now yeah. it even enforces oh, yeah. it even more like i'm on team coke which i mean i personally don't care but like, right. there's some people who like uh, is this pepsi okay they're like absolutely not cancel my order like we're going somewhere yeah. else like and, and that's what it creates like a great branding creates that and that's amazing advice and that was very well said Dan. Sanchez, sorry. Yeah. Um, so there's so the other thing that you're an expert in, um, whether you're self-appointed or not, I think you are based on everything I've seen from you, is is the emergence of AI in marketing. But like you said, I, I would go on YouTube and I would search how to use AI to improve my marketing. And it's just like, I like there's so much, so much information out there. So if you're somebody who wants to, whether you're on your own, you're a solopreneur, you're a small business, whatever it is, and you want to, okay, I need to start utilizing this because I need to be able to keep up. Where do you start using AI for your marketing? Like where, how do you, how do you find out what works best for you? 
I just asked that question in December and I, I wouldn't call myself an expert. I I'm definitely a student. I'm some, I'm a marketer trying to master AI in 2024. This is my, like my goal for the year, <laughs> like figure this out, get on top of it, master everything there is to ma or at least most of what there is to master in this year. And then just stay on top of it because I'm convinced mm -hmm. that like marketing will ch forever change, uh, because of AI. Um, it's going to be, AI is going to dominate every part of marketing from brand building to social media, to direct response, to how you use your CRM. It's going to hit everything and it's going to change everything. Mm -hmm. Kind of like digital has changed everything for marketing. And that's when I started my career on the back of digital marketing. Uh, and I like all the old print, the marketers who just leveraged like print media and direct mail, like got left in the dust of people who adopted digital, right? It's going to be the same thing with AI, which is why I'm like, okay, time to invest. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, so I'm just documenting the journey. It's why I have my own podcast on it, AI micro skills, where I'm trying to like just document what I'm learning and trying to find out what's practical now. Because I found in December, I'm like, I asked a simple question. I'm like, how do you know you're actually growing? How do you know you've learned you you're progressing in your AI knowledge? And kind of find a good answer. I'm like, how do I know I've learned enough or am up to date? Don't know. Don't know. Had no roadmap to know whether what was good or not good in, in marketing. I'd had those roadmaps and lots of other categories of marketing, but not AI. Um, so I start started to seek to like put that together for myself. And I have kind of like a rough roadmap of what I'm trying to accomplish and learn this year. Some of it actually is what I'd like to accomplish, just isn't even possible with AI right now. But I'm trying to figure out what's possible now. I've spent a lot of time and now like everyone's heard of prompt engineering. So that's pretty, people are pretty familiar with that. If you've gotten to AI, you try to learn it, you've understand prompting and the importance of that. The next level from there that I found recently is building custom GPTs. So if you're trying to learn AI, trying to make the most of what's called a custom GPT is the thing that you need to be figuring out right now. Probably for the next six months, this is the skill to build is doing this because it becomes a meta skill for bigger things that are going to be coming later on, but the tech just isn't ready yet. Custom GPTs is the next level up from prompt engineering. If you know how to write good prompts and you've gotten better at getting what you want out of something like chat GPT, because you've practiced, you've read a few tutorial tutorials, you've watched some YouTube videos about how to write good prompts and you've done that. Now you're using it fairly regularly. Your next level up from there is custom GPTs. Are you familiar with the term? No, I'm not prompts. I'm just getting the, the prompts thing down. But <laughs> yeah, so you're at level one of prompts, and generally mm -hmm. at level one, you're you're essentially using ChatGPT and other tools like it, like a, a, an assistant. You give mm -hmm. it single tasks, and then you hand them off, and then it comes back to you with information to complete complete single tasks. It maybe rewrites something for you, or turns a transcript into some show notes for your podcast, or it does single things, and it does it well. Um, Custom GPTs is taking that, but doing more complex projects, maybe multi-step projects for you. Um, it's a it's a feature baked into the paid version of ChatGPT right now, um, and it's fantastic. Essentially, you can create your own little GPT app without having to write any code. Um, and again, you have to pay for it, pay for access to this, and I think it costs twenty bucks a month for ChatGPT Plus. Well worth it well worth it, especially once you start making these things. Um, because you can use them to to outsource different parts of your job. There's things that used to take me an hour or two that now take me just a few minutes because I, I 
created instructions for chat GPT to just run. Like every time I open up this custom version of chat GPT and say, do this, it just starts executing bam, 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 multiple things down the list. Let me tell you a few that I've made that have been helpful to me because now I don't have to do them anymore. I just, instead of taking the two to three hours to run this play, I, AI just does the whole thing. One is I called a uh, name frame. It's a custom GPT I created that comes up with creative names. Now you can just ask a normal GPT to come up with names and it does a decent job, but this is using a specific method that I learned from a book uh, by Alexandra Watkins um, called Hello, My Name is Awesome. She has a lot of good naming formulas in that book. <laughs> this one was the most easy to follow one that was easy to break down. And also I found created really good names, like out of the box names that you're like, ooh, that hits different. Like ChatGPT wasn't going to come up with that name by itself. It essentially takes rhymes and idioms um, and then finds a bunch of different creative combos. Um, I won't walk through the whole process, but I essentially say go and it just runs through the whole process and you just watch it, like do all the work, which used to, again, take me two to three hours to do it. Now it does it in five minutes. Um, so that's one. I have a, a GPT called my showrunner that does all my pre-production for my podcast now. So instead of me having to do research on each guest, I just let my AI producer called my showrunner do it for me. I just copy in their LinkedIn profile, paste it in. And it does research on the guests, research on the company they currently work for. And then taking my show premise, what, what's unique about my show, it thinks about what they're good at talking about and what I'm talk, covering on the show and comes up with unique angles to cover for that episode. And then it says, hey, which angle would you like to go with? Based on your show premise, based on this, this, this person's expertise, this is what you should look at. I'm like, great. Angle three looks good. And then bam, it's like, cool, here's 10 potential titles for that episode. And it's trained because I give it a, even a, I uploaded a swipe file of good podcast titles to train it. Mm. So it goes and references the swipe file and then it comes up with 10 based on the swipe file. So they're good. They're good titles. And then I'm like, Ooh, okay, let's go with that one. Number uh, title three. They're like, cool. Now based on this title and based on this angle and based on the guest's expertise, I'm going to go ahead and craft the questions for, that are going to drive this interview. And so it also creates the it creates the questions you approve the questions and then it actually outlines the whole show it writes the intro uh it comes with the questions it writes the outro and then it crafts an email that you can i can send to the guests with the questions and the emails crafted in a specific way it does all that work and that's only that the pre-production i now have it doing all the post a lot of the post-production work too it's just and it takes me maybe five to ten minutes less than ten minutes to to walk it through all these steps it's about, a, I guess, a five-minute process. Um, but like, how long does it usually take you if you're walking through all those processes? I don't know, an hour, hour and a half to like really go through and like write out all the questions, find the angle, um, and do all that stuff. So now I'm saving myself time. The more important part, like it's cool, like, oh, Dan, you've built some cool GPTs. That's not the most important part. The important part is for you to think through like, what are you doing in your job right now that you could be outsourcing to these custom GPTs? Because the skill set of thinking through how to break down a, a project into step-by-step -step directions and then handing it over to 
chat GPT to execute for you, that's the skill set that you need to be building. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, because if you're a knowledge worker, you have these things in your work that you're doing all the time that you need to learn how to hand over to AI, because if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it and they're going to automate your whole job. And you're not going to lose your job to AI. You're going to lose your job to someone who knows how to use AI. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. So Fair I'm point. like, I'm trying to figure out how to get ahead of that. No, that's, that's a fair point. So kind of, so where to start to summarize would be not to go out and do a bunch of research on what AI can do, find out what you need AI to do for you first. So identify yes. what can you outsource and then do, and then that's much more pointed research now. And then you can learn how to create these custom GPTs or if you're at my level, yep. get really good yep. at the prompts first and then custom GPT yeah. from there. And there's so many AI tools out there. Forget all of them. Forget all of them. They're all, almost all of them are useless anyway. They're literally like little fringe cases of AI that aren't useful. Um, there's a lot of hype around them. Just use ChatGPT. It's the tried and true tool. Get the plus version. It has this thing called custom GPTs and it limits you and what you can do with it because ChatGPT, it can do a lot, but it can only do so many things. You can feed it images and it can give out images. You can feed it text and it can take in text. It can also do Bing searches. It's very helpful. Mm. <laughs> and it can, do, it can do analysis. It can think and tell, give you things. So because it has some limitations on it, it's actually a great place for people to learn how to really leverage it because it can do a lot, but there's a place for you to actually make things and then save your results from them. Man, there's just so much. Like this is great advice to like first narrow down what you need, what, what you can outsource, what you should be outsourcing. But then from there, like there's still so much to learn and like with the world moving so fast. And like you said, like you're trying to get ahead of that where not necessarily you're not going to be replaced by AI, but you're going to be replaced by somebody who knows how to utilize AI. Because again, it's a tool. It's like if yeah. you're a construction worker and all you know how to use is a hammer, a hammer, you're probably going to get replaced by somebody who knows how to also use a saw, who also knows how to use a nail gun, and also knows how to use a tractor, right, to, to drive. So, and there's there's one concept, or I want to, it's not really a concept, but it's a strategy that I noticed that you're you're a big fan of. And after we talked initially about a month ago, I kind of looked into it a little bit, and I'm a big fan of it too. And it's ultra learning. This is probably a tool for a lot of people should be using in order to stay ahead of these things. Like, okay, I don't, I, I need to then, I need to improve my skills or I need to generate or create new skills in order to either move up in my job, build my business, or I don't get replaced by something, right? So what initially made you look into ultra learning to begin with? I, I was kind of doing it before, before I even discovered the term ultra learning. And then I've, mm. I'd heard of other people doing stuff like it and like, uh, I'm a, I think, I think it kind of started with like Tim Ferriss. Like if you, you know, Tim Ferriss, four hour work week, four hour body, four hour chef, all those books. Like he's really like the original, like ultra learner, <laughs> but like other people have done it throughout history. So it's like, he's not the yeah. only one, but learning, learning how to do complex things in extremely short time frames, Um, that's ultra learning. And there's a lot of people who do it. And you'd be surprised that a big part of ultra learning is literally just believing that it's possible. And now that I've read enough books, and of course, Tim Ferriss is a huge get human guinea pig for stuff like that. Like, um, Once you know what's possible, then you start just looking for it all over the place. And then I refuse to like take a long time to learn anything or ex become an expert or a master of anything. <laughs> Since, like I'm trying to master AI in 2024, but look at me, I'm already like, talking about it with some authority because I've learned so much in the last 30 days about AI that 
most like I've, I already have a number of people like messaging me on LinkedIn every day now, like, Hey dude, teach me about AI. Hey dude, teach me about AI. I'm like, okay, I guess I've learned enough that people are asking me for help, even though I've just been posting, Hey, I'm a student figuring it out. Hey, I'm a student That's figuring it out. <laughs> it just happens. But I also just have a mentality that you can learn a lot more faster. Um, so how do you learn things fast? How do you learn things fast? There's a book on ultra learning where he has some crazy projects and things that he's done, but I've done some things as well. Like I earned my undergrad in marketing in eight months. And then I earned my MBA in six months. Um, and then I refused to like learn anything in like 30 days is like, I'll take a 30 day sprint at learning anything. Mm -hmm. Um, there's some things that are probably too hard for me to learn. Like I try to learn the physics of acoustics. <laughs> that one became too much because physics is hard. <laughs> if yeah. you don't have a background in like the hard sciences already and like the mathematics required for it, you're like, ah, oh, like that one's it's hard to throw yourself into like really yeah. complex topics like physics. Um, but like most topics you can become an ex like really, really good at within a short amount of time. Um, AI is one I'm doing that with right now, but I've done it with multiple subtopics within marketing over the last couple of years. Um, like account-based marketing, that's a big topic in B2B marketing mm -hmm. specifically. And I didn't know a lot about it when I got into B2B marketing. So I decided to take a 30 day, like ultra learning run at it. Um, and I read every book on the topic, which was about, I want to say nine to 10 books. It wasn't many published on that topic at that time. Um, and then I recorded 30 podcast interviews about it. And then I wrote articles about it. And then I posted the LinkedIn about it like every day. So in the midst of like consuming all the information, talking to all the experts, all the best people on it and interviewing them on the podcast and then under like really wrestling with how to do it and build it. I started building, building it for the company I was working at and building my first campaigns to start trying the things they said and get, start to get feedback for myself. I started becoming really good at ABM really quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, but I was like all, all, all in obsessed with it for 30 days. And I learned a lot about ABM. Is it the, now there's still like a lot more I could have learned after the 30 days. And I did because I kept experimenting with it later on. Um, but I think people put a lot of parameters around how much they can learn realistically. And I think that's the first thing you have to overcome with ultra learning is learning how to say like, Hey, like maybe I could be like world. Could I, could I be asking the question? Like, what if, what does it look like to be world-class in a very short amount of time? Um, one of my favorite case studies from this comes from the book, ultra learning should like go find that book. But he, it's another guy who is like trying to find, trying to learn stuff ridiculously fast, but he takes a friend and uses his principles on ultra learning with him. He's like, Hey, you want to study public speaking? You're a musician, but you don't have any core. You don't have a lot of like similar meta skills other than maybe like being out in front of people. You don't normally speak in front of people though. What would it take for you to like, win championships in public speaking and when 30 within 30 days i think he like placed third in a toastmasters national championship <laughs> for for ultra learning i'm like dang world class 30 days i think it was something short like that like something stupid short um somebody who didn't have any training in public speaking went to being placing third in a national toastmasters championship it's it's thinking of that kind of stuff and then being like, okay, what would it take to actually do that? It's not it's mm -hmm. not as hard as you would think. I mean, it's intensely hard, but it doesn't take as long as you think. And I think that's the thing that's fun is you can accomplish way more in a short amount of time if you just put your mind to it and like grind at it for 
really hard for a short short period of time. Mm-hmm. I will say there's a downside to being addicted to ultra learning, like I am, in that there's a lot that rewards you for being consistent in small ways over a long period of time, like social media growth, for example. <laughs> yeah. That's not an ultra game. Um, it pays just to be more consistent over time. I found. I've tried to. Tr- I've tried the ultra. I've tried to sprint at. There's some things that you can't just sprint at. You have to do it over time. Um, but you know, you try. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can learn how to do it. You can. You can take. Like if if that's first of all, identify what is the thing of most importance that would get me the best results yeah. on my in time investment at that point. And yeah, you have to do the things over time to reap the rewards, but you can mitigate the amount of time it takes to learn it and in, in, therefore limiting the amount of time it takes that you're screwing up and failing. So if you learn it in a short period of time over a year, let's say you learn how to, so you learn social media, how to be successful in social media in a month, you want to get better in a year, you have a goal in a year. Now you have 11 months of having a much more pointed, successful strategy. As opposed to, okay, I'm just going to slow roll and learn for six months. And now I only have six months of pointed, you know, much more, you know, a better strategy and how to get, get to my goal. So I think and that's a, a great point, but just being, being very, but I like the question. That's what I wanted to talk about was the question is not ask the question. Okay. I want to learn acoustics, right? You, you initially didn't ask the question, is that possible? You asked the question, what would it take in order to be a master in order to learn it enough in 30 days? So it's not. Is that possible? It's okay. What would it take to do that? So you're asking me what what it would take? Like, what are the steps I take to learning something in a short amount? So of when time? you yeah, so when when you decide like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be an ultra learner here. How do you decide what to focus? Because it's intense. Like when for my yeah. research on it, like you got to be yeah. very focused on that thing. So how do you decide what? Okay, I'm, this this thirty days. I'm focusing on this. Yep. So the eighty twenty principle becomes the massive like becomes the principle to define ultra learning because 20% of the inputs will always control 80% of the outputs. And that's true across almost everything. It's nuts because you can like, I don't know, I I wanted to learn Excel really well, but I found that like 20% of Excel gives you 80% of the things you would ever want and ever need out of Excel. Right. But if you take a college class, what do they freaking do? They will take you through a hundred percent of it. 100% of it. And usually not stacking the most important things up front. They're all mixed in there. It's, it's, it's the wrong way to learn. If you want results and you want it fast, you have to define like, okay, like one. Okay. So I guess you start at the very beginning. Like, what do I want to accomplish? The clearer you can get on the goal of what you actually want and stripping away all the other crap that doesn't matter, then that makes a very clear target. Um, the next stop is to strip away everything that doesn't matter on your way to get there. That's the 80-20 principle at work. What's the 20% that's the most important to getting the 80%? Sometimes just talking to the people who have been there and are masters at it already, they can tell you. And if they can't tell you, then they're not good enough yet. Go find someone who knows. <laughs> there are people that'll be like, oh, dude, you just got to learn everything. Like, dude, go find a better teacher. Like, move away from that person and go find someone who knows because there's always an 80-20 with every single subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you just attack that 20%, that most important part. You try to figure out like, can I sequence that? Is there a way to like learn it? And do I need to learn it in order or do I just go after the thing that's most interesting, right? It becomes also like, how do you hack your own motivation to get progress faster? 
Um, so you try to sequence it so you can go all in on learning just the most important things as fast as possible. And also trying to make it so you can get quick wins and feel like you're progressing because it's all a motivational hack too, right? Um, how do I put in so much effort so fast that I can see progress fast? That way I can actually make progress fast and continue going. Um, and that becomes the key, key, few key pieces of ultra learning, setting a very clear target, cutting away 80% of what doesn't matter to focus on the 20% that's going to give you the most bang for your buck, um, for time spent. Um, and then when it, for me, when it comes to learning new subjects, especially like within marketing or something, like I took a run at uh, a topic in marketing called thought leadership. Um, sometimes doing the things, there's one, uh, a few unconventional things that I found work really, really well. Um, one is buying every book on a topic. If it's not like a skill like soccer or something, if it's mm -hmm. a, a, I don't know how, what to call it, like a, an academic subject, like an intellectual, kind an of, intellectual you know. subject. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so funny how much easier it is than you would think to read like every single book on a niche topic. Like usually if it's niche, then there's probably only 10 to 20, maybe max 30 books on that topic anyway. And then reading every single book ever published on a topic just isn't that hard because you, after you read the first three or four, everything else is just repeat material. Hmm. So you skim that because it's, you've already read it. Now you're just reading it from another author's perspective who had to cover the same contextual information. So you just skim it. And then every new book you add to the list <laughs> is like, it becomes less and less a percent of new material and you skim more and more of it. So reading 15 books probably feels more like reading six because they're all on the exact same topic. Now, if there were 15 books on widely different, then you'd have to read all of them, but they're not. They're all on the exact same niche thing. So the new information goes down dramatically for every new book that you add to it, which means you can cover the whole gamut of published knowledge on a specific subject and start with a really good base of information. Now you know what is known for the most part. The next, and this becomes what I call, this is my own hack at Halter Learning. Uh, everything else I've talked about has been published by people like Tim Ferriss and the guy who wrote the book Ultra Learning. Um, but my own hack to Ultra Learning is what I call the 30-30-30 plan read 30 books on the topic, right? Or uh, however many books there are on the topic. Like when I did account-based marketing, there was like, I don't know, like uh, there was around 10 books. There might've been a little bit more, a little bit less. I read all the books and then I went and scheduled interview, 30 podcast interviews. So 30 books, 30 interviews with the people who are experts on that topic. After you read the books, go schedule 30 interviews and talk to them about what you're learning. Ask them questions because then you'll get all the stuff that wasn't published in the books or stuff they're on recently, or you can ask them more nuanced things. And now you're learning Socratically before you were inputting it on in your bread. Now you're having conversations with it, wrestling with it, with the people who know freaking best. You also build relationships with them so they can connect you with all the other stuff that might be going on in that industry. And then you got to write, you got to create content about it. And I used to be, say like write 30 blog posts about it. This can be pretty tough, but generally every topic has a certain amount of questions people are searching for it. So if you understand SEO, like the, you want to write blog posts that rank for those, key, those keywords that are people are searching about it because they're the most frequently asked questions on the topic. And if you can teach them about those frequently asked questions, you've essentially mastered the basics. So by going through the 30-30 plan, read all the books, 30 conversations with all the experts, and then write 30 articles about it, you will have essentially like 
not fully mastered because always there's like trial and experience of actually doing the thing. But as far as the, like what you can do through just reading, talking and writing, like you'll have covered so much ground in a very short amount of time. And you could do this in 90 days. You could take a whole year to do it. <coughs> um, I'll have done, done this with AI probably by April this 30, 30, 30 plan, except with the books, there are no books on this. So that's all conversations. <laughs> um, so but it's a, it's a, it's an easy way to like master a topic. And I'm surprised more people don't do it, especially if you're like your professional email marketer and you haven't even read five books on the topic of email marketing, let alone all of them. No, that's amazing advice. And I, I like the concept because it forces you like you can't just read one book and then pretend to be a master on it. Like you said, like you could read, if you read 30 or 15 or whatever it is, the first three, you might get some different information, but then it starts to be, then you hear it from different angles. And sometimes you could hear, I could hear the same. It's like reading data. Like I could be looking at the data then somebody next to me could be looking at the same data and we'd be get, we'd get the different outcome. Like we, we would read it differently. We would see, see it a little bit differently. But if you, if you do that, you get the different out, outlooks. And then you're talking to individuals who are either going through it now and you get more tangible. You can get case studies from them. You get more tangible. Like this is actually like that. That was theory. This is actually how it went. This is actually how the conversation went. And then if you have to start to teach it, you have to put in your own words. And then you also have to communicate so other people understand it. Well, that's like true understanding. And I I love that concept because that's when when I was doing jujitsu, I would get to a point where I was okay at it. But then I got way better at it when I had to start teaching people like beginners. So when I had to teach, I had to think of it from a different angle. I had to think of it in my own way. And then I had to think of it not just in my own way, but in a way that it would be would, the outcome. So I had to communicate to somebody else. I had to speak to them in their language and I had to speak to it so that they understood it. So now I'm t- t- trying to speak. I'm trying to regurgitate the information to 30 different people, 30 different ways. So I have to understand it in 30 different angles. Yeah. So that's like a mic drop moment, I think, so for you, Dan. Sorry, go ahead. If you like this topic and you like jujitsu, you should check out a book called The Art of Learning. Um, Oh, come on. What color is it? I keep my books color coded because I always forget where they are. Yeah, I don't I don't do that. (laughs) There it is. Trust me, this is you're one of those guys that would like this book. This is from Josh um, Waitskin. He was you you ever heard of the book called uh, Searching for Bobby Fisher? It's about a boy who's a chess prodigy. That's this guy. Like he, oh, cool. he was a chess prodigy. Yeah. He grew up and he wrote a book. This is it. Art of learning. And he got into, um, he, he went from being a chess prodigy to get into Tai Chi. And then after this book, this is after he wrote this book, he got into jujitsu. Um, but the whole book's about learning and the process of learning. And like, he has some really crazy stuff in here. Um, but if you're, if you're into learning and you're into like martial arts specifically, I'm like, mm-hmm. you like that book. My, uh, the local Amazon drivers are going to be busy after this conversation, Dan. <laughs> it's like, I have a list. And I'm sure a lot of people listening have a list too of all the books that they, they need to listen to. But man, you are, you're one of those people. And this is like an odd, um, compliment that I give a lot of people, but I'm glad that like, I'm glad you exist because like you're, you're so intelligent. You you speak so eloquently and, and I don't, I don't, you do it without almost meaning to, but you're very inspirational to listen to and talk to. Um, cause immediately like I want to go out and I want to try a lot of the things that you, you said to do, especially with this whole custom GPT thing, um, identifying how I'm learning 
and it's just with branding and that, that kind of stuff as well, but understanding how to learn and seeing somebody like you kind of do it yourself and the commitment that you have to it is it's an, it's inspiring. And I got what I think what's so inspiring about it is you do it without trying to be inspirational. I think you just do it cause you love it. And I, I might be speaking for you, but man, it's pumping me up, man. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's I, just the truth. I just like man. learning and sharing. So <laughs> I'm glad it, glad it comes across that way on the mic. No, a hundred percent. Absolutely. And people listening to that again, I think they'll, they'll be pumped up listening to you. The 30, 30, 30 rule. I think that that's great. But a lot of people, they have, again, identify what you're most passionate about, what you're able to put the time into in order to learn. And then what'll give you the biggest return on that time investment and money investment because 30 books isn't cheap. Right. But identify that first and then go out and commit to it, go out and commit to it. Um, but Dan, I ask everybody this question at the end of our podcast, but for you, Dan Chez, sorry. For you, what is the next summit that you are you're chasing? I mean, I'm chasing this AI summit. I'm trying to master mm-hmm. this thing in 2024. Um, I have broken down AI into five major steps to learn. Um, one is learning how to use it as an assistant, then learning how to automate it, which is just barely breaking into now. Learning how to use AI as a coach um, to get it to ask me questions back. This this is where the technology still struggles to be proactive and prompting you with questions. I'm still trying to figure out how to get it to do that. Um, and then using it to better forecast the future. Um, again, technology issues because, but some companies like I'm, that I'm interviewing and then working with are trying to figure this out too. So that's a big advantage of AI. And then my, my last frontier of AI that I'm, I want to figure out is how to use AI to create original value. To where it's not, you're not using AI to create one of the other, serve one of the other purposes I just mentioned, but it creates value in and of itself. Um, one idea I've had for this, and this would be like a whole company to start, but it's come, it's finding something like this where AI is creating original value that then you could charge money for. Is like, I've written two children's books, one on like how to be a marketer or uh, become a marketer when you grow up and how to grow an audience, two children's books. I have kids. I'm trying to teach them how to become marketers um, because I think marketing is awesome. Wouldn't it be cooler is if I had an AI program I could go to and I just gave it a topic, maybe an illustration style, and I gave it a few uh, some information about my kids and it just made me a one-of-one copy that's unique for my kids to teach them marketing at the skill level where they're currently at. In the future, AI will be able to do that. It'll be able to write it. It'll be able to illustrate it. And then Amazon already does print on demand. So like I should technically be able to create whole series for my kids to teach them things that are that's unique to their already passions and interests. And it can correlate learning topics to the things they already like, like Pokemon or something like that, right? Maybe not Pokemon. It's like licensed trademark. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> you know, it can talk to things that they already like and teach them. That's unique curriculum that's just for them, not useful for anybody else because it's based on their their stuff. That's that's where you AI can start to add unique and original value. Um, I want to find more things like that and then figure out how to deliver it myself, hopefully by the end of the year, but maybe I don't get there. But that's kind of like the pathway that I'm going to to master AI. I will be paying very close attention, my friend. Very, very close attention. I'm sure a lot of people will too. Um, but again, thank you so much for being on. Where can everybody find you? Take 30 seconds. Take a minute even, my friend. Where can everybody find you? Plug what you want to plug. I mean, danchez.com has links to everything. Um, jump on my newsletter from danchez.com. If you want to see what I'm doing with AI, go to aimicroskills.com. And I spend the most time on LinkedIn. 
So it's linkedin.com slash IN slash digital marketing Dan uh, is my handle for that. I wish you could change the handle, but it's already linked to so many different places that I can't change it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like 10 years from now, I'll still be dropping that URL and people will be like, what's like, isn't all marketing digital that. marketing? And I'll be like, yeah, uh, it, it was a phase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great, my friend. That's awesome. But thank you again so much for being here. I learned a lot. Everybody listening to this learned a lot. And we also learned a lot on how to learn a lot. So we appreciate you.